Hello, this is Eric Matson from Good Luck Ugly, and yes, I am a real person, and we are about to discuss metal. This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Eric Matson of Good Luck Ugly. Hosted by Dan Terry, presented by DiscussMetal.com. I have the pleasure this evening of speaking with Eric Matson of Good Luck Ugly. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Good, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And full disclosure, uh, Eric and I actually did do an interview earlier this week that I uh, flubbed up on. So uh, he was kind enough to take the time out to uh, basically have a do-over with me. So I really appreciate that. That's uh, that's that that was just really nice of you to do. You were under no obligation to do so. So yeah, no problem at all. That was our practice one. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, just uh, kind of getting into it. Um, as I said the last time, which again I got to stop saying that because nobody heard last time. <laughs> but uh, you know, there there is a specific subject I do want to discuss, but we're going to discuss it later because this is a music podcast, and that's that's really what we're here for is to talk about the music. And uh, Eric has a pretty pretty solid career as a drummer playing in two bands uh starting off in makeshift three and then uh, more recently playing in good luck ugly and um you know one of the bands makeshift three was uh kind of a pop punk and metal uh combination band and um good luck ugly ugly being a little bit uh more i, I would say more ska do you would you agree with that yeah it's like a pop punk with some ska elements to it kind of a classic 90s style so one of them you're going to hear like loud heavy so makeshift three sometimes you're going to hear loud heavy guitars and even some screaming <laughs> and uh with good luck ugly you've got more of a like an energetic rock you know uh, right. fast paced kind of kind of band uh so i guess you know to go back a, you know way back uh what was it that got you into punk rock um, I'd say back in junior high, early high school, uh, my buddies were listening to a lot of bands from Epitaph Records, Nitro Records, Fat Records, um, you know, a lot of the no effects, lag wagons strung out. So I got caught up listening to that with them, really enjoyed it. But what caught my attention was probably, uh, MXPX's first album, Poconacha. And, um, because at the time the Christian punk was was kind of unheard of. And uh, being a Christian, it kind of caught my attention and um, kind of went from there. So I'd say those are kind of the earlier roots was the junior high, early high school. Right. And that, that was back when it wasn't really cool to be a Christian and be uh, into punk rock. Right, right. So when someone used the phrase Christian punk rock, everyone was like, huh, what's that? I got to hear this band. And at the time, it was kind of MXPX on their own in the early 90s. So what what was the, you know, one of the things that I find most interesting, and this is a question that I try to ask everybody that I interview, is, you know, what was the, uh, what was the spark for you to go from being somebody that just enjoyed something to want to actually take part in it yourself and create your own music? Um, again, back in high school, uh, my buddies were big music enthusiasts and a couple guys played bass and guitar. There were rarely any drummers. So they kind of hinted around about starting a band and looking for a drummer. And I heard about it and I said, Hey, I'll buy a drum set. And, um, one of my buddies in high school, uh, Mike McNamara, who played for the band 1208 on Epitaph Records, um, 
At the time he was taking lessons, I'd go over to his house after his lesson, and he basically teach me what he um, learned at that particular lesson. Uh, also in high school, I went to school with uh, Justice Golmatico from the band Bloodshed on Tooth and Nail Records. Oh my goodness, they're one of my favorites. Oh really? Yeah. So yeah, he was obviously the drummer of the band, so um, learned a little bit from him as well. And then that whole first year, I pretty much went to every Dogwood show I could and would um, film Russ Castillo, take the tape back and just try to play along to their songs. So I'd say between those three guys, those were probably my big uh, influences those first couple years of uh, learning to play drums. So that's how that's how you kind of developed that kind of faster, you know, like in your face style um, that you have, which I would say definitely blends beautifully with what you guys started doing in Makeshift Three. Right, right. You know, because one of the things that I thought was most interesting about that band was the the mixture of punk and metal, and um, which is something you know because you had you had kind of the the pop punk bands. Uh, back then, and I mean, you could you could justify that every punk band is a little bit metal in a certain sense, just because of the uh, just because of the riffing, you know, then and the the pace of yeah, the songs. You, right. You listen to a band like Strung Out. There's a lot of metal elements in their guitar riffs. Uh, same with a little bit of Lagwagon. Um, we were really big uh, pop punk fans, like the Blink One Eighty Two, Green Day, but we also liked Pantera yeah. as well. So. You know, on the albums, the first the first couple albums, we'd throw a metal or song, a metal song in there too. But it wasn't until uh, later on where we would kind of almost go fifty percent metal, fifty percent pop punk, just because we love metal so much, um, and started incorporating the screaming into our songs. Yeah, that song, "A Good Day Under Glass," man, that <laughs> that's a heavy one. Uh, for sure. And it was actually, it's one of the first tracks I listened to by Makeshift 3, and I was kind of like, I thought this was a punk band, you know? Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I was pretty surprised being being predominantly a metal guy myself. Uh, I was I was kind of blown away by that. Um, yeah, and uh, also, growing up in Fallbrook, I mean, you know, in Fallbrook, uh, I mean, Bloodshed, one of their albums was called Soft Spoken Words of Fallbrook. Uh, Jason Dunn, you know, started Face Down Records in Fallbrook. So, just in our hometown alone, the hardcore scene was pretty, pretty up and coming. And then, you know, we're right next to San Diego with NIV, POD, Project 86. So there was a lot of Christian metal influence for us that we had um, uh, just in our hometown alone. Well, now, and something that was interesting that you told me uh, last time we talked was that, you know, the makeshift didn't actually start off as a Christian band. That's right. Yeah. In 1996, when we released our first album, um, we had a different uh, singer bass player at the time. And it was basically just a secular album. Um, Yeah, there was no Christian content into it. It was kind of more like a Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, kind of like a a vandals early no effects type sound um so by far you know that album is by far probably the most unique one um of the four okay yeah i have that's the one i haven't heard i don't because i don't think i can stream that anywhere i don't know how easy it would be to get a physical copy of it uh because the first one that i that i've heard was uh fuel for life Right, yeah. Um, well, actually, after the first album, we went into Double Time Studios down in San Diego and worked with Jeff Forrest, who recorded and produced one of Blink-182 albums, and we put out an EP 
in 97 um, that actually caught the attention of Carrie Fairfield, who became our manager at the time, who used to work um, with Brandon Abel and Tooth and Nail Records. So she was pretty helpful um, in helping release probably that first album you've heard, the, the Fuel for Life album. So she played a big part in that. Um, we released that in 99, and that was kind of uh, pretty pretty straightforward pop punk. Um, and uh, at that time, we were just kind of, the tooth and nail scene kind of started growing, along with you know other labels like Betty Rocket, Screaming Giant, uh, Diamani Distribution was big. And um, eventually we just started playing shows with, uh, you know, bands like Sago 24-7, who are now Amberlin. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. And then, um, you know, started playing shows with Dogwood. But because of our metal influence, we were able to play shows with Project 86 and eventually Slick Shoes. So that Fuel for Life album probably... It definitely helped us out more a lot than that first album we did. Did you guys like once you had once you had transitioned over to being a Christian band? Did you ever play any of the old songs live still, or did, was it just like a new beginning for you? It was pretty much a new beginning. That first album just said makeshift um, due to the fact that we just had a lot of makeshift equipment. I mean, we had broomsticks as mic stands in the very <laughs> beginning, um, and then Carrie Fairfield's you know, when she went to register the band and make everything legal, she said makeshift was taken. Hey, you guys need to change something. So we just did something simple, added the three. Um, there's three of us. There's the Trinity. There's multiple meanings, but basically had to do what Blink-182 did when they added the 182 since just Blink was taken. Yeah. And it's kind of funny now with like uh, modern internet lingo. You know, it's funny, like, because you look at the cover or you look at the band's logo on the albums and it really just looks like just the reversed, you know, like a reversed E makeshift. I don't know, like it still works. Um, But uh, what I thought was really cool, too, is that you guys got on to a tooth and nail compilation. Um, So what what was that process like? Um, Yeah, I think what happened was, let's see. Back in 2000, uh, that Fuel for Life album caught the attention of Micro Records, which had Diamani distribution, which is really helpful for us. And they, they hired um, uh, Grammy Award winning uh, engineer Dus Bennett to record and um, engineer the album. And I think, I, looking back, I want to say that's when we started. Um, meeting Brandon Jones at shows and he reached out to us and said, you know, Hey, we're putting together, I'm compiling a list of songs for a compilation for tooth and nail. Um, you know, do you guys want to be on it? I think we were on tour in Oregon at the time. And I told the guys, Hey, this, this is an awesome opportunity. We love tooth and nail bands. We like Brandon Jones. We like Indivision music and what they're doing. You know, Dogwood was on it. Amberlin was on it. So it was just an awesome opportunity. Um, looking back at that one. And was there a lot of buzz for the band around that time? I mean, I can only imagine you were like right in the uh, right in the sweet spot for that style of music, just being the perfect time. Yeah, that that kind of ninety nine through oh two era was probably the height of the pop punk, even the Christian pop punk scene. I mean, at that time we were playing, we were going on tour with Tooth and Nail Band off the record, who's probably one of my favorite bands of all time oh yeah they they also they incorporate a little pop punk with metal and it was awesome um playing shows with value pack um 
My bass player at the time was a co-worker with Tepe Teranishi at Active Ride Shop. And so we were playing shows with Thrice, and uh, who were obviously up and coming at the time. Um, and that's when Active Ride Shop here in Southern California reached out to us and, uh, and Dogwood and said, hey, guys, uh, we want to sponsor you guys. Here's a bunch of stuff you guys can throw out at shows. Um, we ended up playing with Born Blind um, from Face Down and Tooth and Nail, who are awesome hardcore. Um, I mean, there was, I remember one church flew us out to Washington to play a skate demo, played with Sick of Change from Betty Rocket. Uh, yeah, Too Bad Eugene. Um, you know, those guys had members from Craig's Brother and whose album was produced by My Career from MXPX. So, yeah, that whole era at that time was, looking back, I would say definitely the height of pop punk and Christian pop punk. Yeah, so you guys were like right there because I mean, some of those bands you're throwing out would go on to be. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say huge. I don't think any of the bands from that era, except for like MXPX or Thrice, were ever going to get like as big as as they you know. Uh, this is, some of the other bands wouldn't have gotten as big as those bands, but uh, that was just a really interesting time. I remember it being very fresh because. You know, you'd have some bands, they would just play straight punk, but what you had was a lot of, like you guys did, you know, mixed, you know, a couple of different styles together in order to come up with a more original sound, as I would imagine that originality was kind of hard to find, because, you know, the good part of that is that, yeah, you can get on better shows, but the bad part is, is that there's tons of, like, imitator bands out there at the time, too, all trying to do this, trying to copy what's popular, but you guys didn't really do that, you guys went for a more original sound. Yeah, at the time when we were writing our fourth album, the biggest influences were probably um, off the record from Tooth and Nail and Thrice, um, just because Thrice did such an awesome job. I mean, they kind of had that almost that Iron Maiden style to it that was so unique, uh, very mature, but they were still super young. So um, they were probably, yeah, them and off the record, probably one of the biggest um, influences. I remember at the time, yeah, playing with uh, PAX 217 from Forefront Records. Oh, yeah, and, I remember them. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, playing on the Vans Warp Tour and basically just getting on compilations, aside from Brandon's, um, just getting on various compilations with Fat Records, Bands, Epitaph, Hopeless, Fearless, like... Uh, Strung Out, uh, No Effects, Yellow Card, Good Riddance, Slick Shoes, Big Wig, Thursday, uh, Shoot, uh, Muster Plug, Bouncing Soul. So um, the compilation scene uh, compilation scene was big back then just because people were still into the physical CDs. And so those, those were also very helpful. Well, yeah, because you couldn't just go on Spotify back then and just, you know, say, oh, I like Blink-182, what other kind of bands like that are out there? Yeah. Right, right. What about uh, yeah, I probably have a stack of probably one hundred to two hundred compilations. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just and it's so funny too the amount of bands that are on there that never actually put anything out. Like they just put a, a song on a compilation and that was their discography. You know, right? But um, you know, one of the things that we that that I wanted to get into as well. So your the last release for makeshift three was i believe 2005 that was uh fluorescent black yeah fluorescent black we went into the studio in 03 i hired um drum tech dan artis um also known as drum and dan from the band anthem and midnight hour he actually i i remember seeing him he did one of those mtv duet episodes with travis barker you know, oh yeah too um so he came in did the drum teching on that uh, fourth album and then um we recorded with Dust Bennett again, 
And I remember I wanted to show the album to Brandon Jones from IVM, and he was saying there was a little delay in the release on that because he thought the mix was a little off. So once once we reached out to him and got some other opinions, we ended up releasing it in 05. Um, and at that time, um, you know, the rap and the pop started to take over. There was kind of an emo takeover at the time. Um, we were still able to play shows with, you know, the Supertones and other tooth and nail bands, but that's kind of when we saw a transition from pop punk to kind of this emo scene. Well, and that's the thing that I think was interesting about that record though, is that, you know, you're listening to it. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of pop punk on it, but there's also, you know, there's heavy guitars, there's screaming. And I, you know, it, it seemed to me, um, that you guys could easily have made that transition. Um, into the i wouldn't necessarily say the screamo thing and obviously it's it's all dependent on what you guys wanted to write you know uh but it, it is it is interesting to see that the, that that was the band's last release because a, a release that would have maybe been a little bit heavier a little bit more on the screamy side probably probably would have fit in just fine with that with with where uh where that music was going at the time Right. I think because that fluorescent black album had had, you know, a lot of pop punk in it, I think that may have been a little bit of a deterrent. But I also, you know, you look at the other bands that, um, you know, are our peers, basically like Dogwood, their seismic album, their last album was in 03. Slick Shoes is what the Far From Nowhere album was in 03. Yeah. And um you know, you got Thursday, Thrice, Coheed and Cambria, My Chemical Romance, along with like As They Lay Dying, August Burns Red. All these like emo metal bands were just kind of taking over the scene. And yeah, I guess we had a little bit of metal, but, you know, not at the caliber of I mean, those are just awesome bands. It definitely wasn't at the caliber of that. And with and also noticing bands like Dogwood and Slick Shoes kind of stopping. Well, yeah, and I mean, your your guys' metal was more rooted in, like, the Pantera, which, you know, is still, obviously, people still love Pantera. Um, I don't personally, but that's a whole other story. But right. uh, the, uh, you know, you guys had, because one thing that I love about uh, what you guys would do is there would always be that, like, dime bag, almost, like, squeal, you know, right. to cut yeah, off a our, song, cut, uh, start off a song. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, our guitarist, loved Dimebag Daryl. Um, artistically, yeah, Pantera definitely a huge influence probably the biggest metal influence we had now there was um so that was the last so that was the last release so what what happened i guess ultimately to the band after that release i mean uh, other than you know what you've already told me which is that you know obviously the pop punk scene was kind of uh the well was running dry so to speak yeah um i think the most i think one of the most important things of being an active band is constantly playing live i think it was harder getting shows because the bigger bands like Dogwood and Slick Shoes and stuff weren't playing anymore. And so we played a lot of churches and youth groups like they did. And so it was just harder to get shows because the kids weren't really interested in pop punk anymore. They, you know, they were interested in more of the, you know, the Fueled by Rom and the Fallout Boys, the Paramours. It was kind of going an alternative route a little bit along with, you know, that emo takeover Um, so it was just harder to get shows along with, um, you know, us eventually getting married and having kids and families of our own and getting jobs that weren't as flexible with our, you know, college, uh, schedules. Yeah. That can be the hard thing because, uh, 
you know, you, you basically what if you're on tour all the time or you're playing out of town all the time, well, you, the the best job you can get is like what waiting tables, right? You know? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, if if you want to have a career and have a family, I mean, there's nothing you can do but slow down. That's that's pretty much ninety percent of the reason why I do a podcast and I don't play in bands anymore. You know, is is just I I've got four kids and a full time job, and you know, I just. I can find the time to talk to people at night, you know, like we're doing yeah. right now. But right. but beyond that, you know, there's not really uh there there's not really time. And uh so I totally understand that, but I think the interesting thing is is that I guess it was in uh and forgive me if I'm wrong, but it, I guess it was like 2018 you started kind of getting the itch again to play. Yeah, so 2007 Makeshift 3, we that's the last time we played and um there was kind of a break there where, you know, we did the family thing, the career. And I want to say maybe 2015, 2016, I started these bands, like Blink-182 started making albums again. Uh, Story of the Year, Dogwood and Slick Shoe started playing live again. So I kind of thought, oh, that's interesting. Like, you don't you don't really see that um, that often to see these, you know, younger bands make a big comeback after all these years, especially in the Christian punk scene. I mean, there was no Christian punk scene prior to the nineties. So I kind of just started kind of, you know, seeing what was out there. And I reached out to the guys, um, in makeshift three in 2017 and just said, Hey guys, you want to meet up and, you know, see if there's any interest there. And we did, and we discussed the possibility of releasing an EP, right. Uh, and so that was kind of the last official band meeting we had. Um, and in the meantime, you know, they, they weren't interested in doing anything, you know, full time or anything serious. So in the meantime, I started venturing out looking for other bands and musicians to work with to see, you know, how I could stay active. Sure. And that's how you got in touch with the guys from uh, Good Luck Ugly. Right. I started playing with them in early 2018. And then um, we released an EP in July started uh, playing shows. We played with the Ataris at the Whiskey in uh, Hollywood. Um, we worked with Des Bennett again, you know, 15 years later. Yeah. And did a full-length album called Side Hugs and Backstabs that we released and started reaching out to the more modern um, uh, Christian punk-type bands like uh, Mainsail, Heart Like War, and um, just started reaching out and at this point, just trying to get as many shows as we can. Now, how does that, uh, how does that work with your, uh, you know, with your, you know, having a family and having, and having a job or do you have to, you know, are you trying to pursue it full force again? Or are you kind of, is it more of like a, uh, a more of a laid back, uh, sort of, sort of deal? Yeah, I think the band's availability kind of is dependent on whoever has the least flexible schedule. So our guitar player, um, has a normal schedule Monday through Friday with weekends off, summers off. So we kind of cater to his schedule, um, try to play weekends and during winter and summer breaks, if, if the opportunity should arise, um, yeah, we'd be open to traveling a bit and seeing what else is out there. So at this time we're just very open. So that album name, uh, uh, I forgot is it's backstabs is no, it's side hugs, side side hugs and backstabs. Um, how did you come up with that? Because that's awesome. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. Mike came up with it. He he does all the songwriting, writes all the lyrics. He does all the graphic design. He does a lot of the YouTube video content. Okay. And um, I, I actually, I cannot answer that one in detail. 
Okay. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll have to we'll have to ask him. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to circle back to that some other time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I hear it, I think ah, it's kind of self-explanatory, but I don't know the depth behind it, so I'll definitely get back to you on that one. Okay. And um, was uh, Good Luck Ugly is is that also considered a Christian band? Uh, you know what? People have asked. We're all Christians. But it wasn't like Makeshift 3, you know, Makeshift 3 had a song called Church Boy. And we would talk, you know, given the type of audience we were playing to, we would, you know, say certain things. But Good Luck Ugly, um, like I know Mike says that we're Christians, but our band is really meant to meet, meet uh, reach everybody. Um, I mean, we aim to make great music that we can all relate to and connect with and find hope in. Um but there are songs that allude to the gospel and basically just to get people thinking. Yeah. And that's kind of the more modern way of doing it. I know, see, I think, I think when this is just my opinion, but uh, I think the Christian punk scene had to be more bold starting off just to establish itself as a thing. Right. You know, so, you know, with any, with any movement or any revolution or whatever, you know, somebody's, somebody's got to stand up and make a strong stance. But once you're, once it's kind of there and established and it's not weird to be Christians playing punk rock or, you know, uh, or metal even, you know, uh, now that it's not weird, people have a little bit more time to focus on the art. Right. You know, and so I think that's cool. I, I love the cover artwork, by the way, too, with the whole uh, Nintendo cartridge look to it. And <laughs> yeah, we're um, definitely big, yeah, video game Nintendo fans, and uh, we have some YouTube content that kind of makes Super Nintendo associations. So it, it's yeah, that's kind of a little definitely got kind of a classic vibe to it. Yeah, I definitely definitely enjoy it. I e- even right down to the punk rock that your parents love, but it's in like the Nintendo uh seal of approval. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it pulled up on my screen right now. It's just uh it's just it's cool. And uh it definitely it definitely kind of takes me back to kind of that era too that we were talking about earlier, you know, in the 99 to 2002. But obviously like it sounds a lot better. Uh, recordings just sound so much better now than they used to. Right. So one of the, I'm going to kind of transition over to kind of the other topic, which I feel like I'm going to be able to talk about a little bit better than I did last time. So in a certain way, thankfully nobody else heard that because I was like, uh, have you ever heard of a bot and all that? Uh, so, uh, (laughs) but you know, one of the things, and I'm sure, I'm sure one of the biggest questions that, that you had whenever I first reached out to you was, you know, why me? Why, why, why would you pick me to interview over every, anybody else in the band, you know? Um, and the reason for that is because you are quite popular, whether you know it or not. (laughs) And, um, for some people it's a good thing. And for some people, maybe it's not a good thing. Um, I'm not here to judge because I've talked to you twice now and I think that you're totally like a super chill dude and fun to talk to, (laughs) you know? So like, I, I don't know why people would think that that was a bad thing. Uh Um, but essentially, uh, you know, whenever Makeshift 3 started, uh, or whenever you were talking to the guys from Makeshift 3 about putting out an EP, um, you kind of took it upon yourself to do a uh, a little bit of field research, um, because in, in all of this makes sense in context to what we talked about with the history of the band and how, you know, the, the well had kind of run dry on, on pop punk bands. Right. Uh, you know, a few years ago. So whenever you're putting your, your toes back in the water, you're thinking, okay, well, can I put a record out now that people are going to like, or are they going to listen to it and say it sounds dated? Right. You know? And so 
you know, you were reaching out to people on uh, on the labeled podcast group, uh, old school tooth and nail, solid state, all that, and you were basically sending people messages and saying, "Hey, this is my band." You know, if you listen to this, this was our last release. How do you think it sounds compared to, you know, right. uh, compared to what you listen to now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd ask different questions, reach out to different people, kind of get a feel. Hey, is this something worth pursuing or is this, you know, is it worth putting out another EP? Are people still interested? Um, yeah. Just kind of curiosity. See where the scene's at. Um, I reached out to Brandon at uh, Indivision Music, and he gave me a list of modern bands that were active. Yeah. And um, I just wasn't sure because I know we love the metal aspect of, of things, and I just wasn't sure if it was going to, you know, going to work. And uh, I think the only the only downside to that, because, uh, you know, you the way the way you had gone about it was you were messaging people based on um, what was it you said last time? It was just keywords, right? Yeah. So when I reach out to people, you know, it, it's got to be, you know, a target audience that can either relate or have an association with your band. So I just did certain keywords like the tooth and nail, um, tooth and nail fans or, you know, Blink-182 fans. Anything that relates to our band, I'd re- uh, re- reach out to and just try to acquire feedback. And unfortunately, with the way the Internet is, people started accusing you of basically like spamming them. Basically, you know, and and what it was is I think you were kind of using the same um, kind of the same format. Right. Because, I mean, to 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 message a ton of people and all and, and come up with a new and original thing to say to them every single time when you're you're just basically trying to do your research. Um, people, people started getting the impression due to the similarity of the messages that you were not a real person, but that you were actually like a bot, like a, like a chat bot. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting observation, but you know, I can kind of see that. Yeah. Cause it's, uh, it, well, it's, it's like you said in our last conversation too, is that, you know, uh, there is a, uh, what is it? Anytime, anytime you message a, a major page, like for instance, uh, you sent a message to the Brutally Speaking podcast recently, okay. um, and I, you know, I get the, I get those messages as well. And I bet as soon as you sent us that message, another message popped up that said, "Hey, Eric, thanks for contacting us. Right. We'll get back to you soon." You know, right? So that instantaneous response, I, I, you know, when you try to message a band page that has five million likes on it. Obviously, they don't have time to respond to everything, so they have those bot things set up, I assume, because I've tried it before, and, hey, let's get started, or, hey, this and that. So when I see that instantaneous, to me, that's pretty conclusive of what it is. Right. Um, Whereas in my case, obviously, everything wasn't instantaneous like that. Right. Well, that was was the whole thing is – you know, people, people took it to a terrible level and, you know, I can only imagine what it was like for you is I've, I've dealt with similar things. The, um, so-called consequences of putting yourself out there, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I would imagine that, that after a while, um, some of p- people's responses to you probably got either weird or just like angry. Um, it was pretty much a combination of three. It it was either three responses, one positive, one negative, or one neutral. Those were pretty much the three. And if it was negative, I kind of just moved on. And if it was positive, I'd keep engaging with the person and, you know, basically just talk music with a fellow music fan. 
Yeah, and people are unfortunately very two-faced sometimes, and they might sit there and have a good conversation with you, but then you know you find out later that they're either making fun of you behind your back or they're you know whatever, and it's so it's so childish, and it's so like it's yeah, very I've it's heard, very middle school, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've heard different you know rumors like that, but I'm not, I'm actually not part of any of those groups, so I don't. It's not like I'm exposed to it. But every once in a while, someone reaches out and said, hey, have you seen this? Or, hey, have you heard that? And I just respond, sorry, no, I haven't. Right, yeah, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, there is kind of a cool factor to, um, you know, nowadays the goal for everybody is to be viral. So, like, I'm a podcaster, so, like, if I ever put out a podcast that went viral, like, that would be actually really good for me. Uh, right. wh- whether people were making fun of me or not. You know? Right. <laughs> and um and you've kind of achieved that even though that wasn't really your goal. Um, which I think is kind of kind of cool in a way. Um and again that's that's kind of ignoring the more negative aspects of it. But um, you know, in, in talking to you, it, it looks like it doesn't affect you that much. And that makes me that makes me happy that you're not, you know, just punching walls and stuff when you're at home, you know? Right. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're asking about makeshift three type stuff. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. Now that I'm in, you know, good luck, ugly, I'm, I'm reaching out to booking agents, promoters. I'm trying to, you know, book shows is kind of my main thing and then assist with writing songs. So as far as makeshift goes, yeah, I'm not really, (laughs) I'm not active with that. That band's just not active right now, either online or just, as a band in general. Right. Well, and it's funny that people are still talking about it in, in forums and stuff almost two years later, you know, like, like it was some big thing. And I think it's really just that, you know, I guess not a lot of interesting things happen <laughs> on some of those, <laughs> on some of those forums. So they just always go back to, Oh, let's just see what Eric's doing or may, you know, all that. But, uh, I think, I think at this point, man, you know, uh, the best thing that you can do is just lean into it, you know, be like, yeah, yeah, I did that. But, you know, but you're not doing it anymore. And that's the thing, um, you know, uh, and I've got, I've got a mind to reach out to the mods on some of those boards and just be like, you guys should let Eric back in. Like, he just wants to talk and, you know. um, Yeah. Again, like I hear a lot of things, I'm kind of curious to it, but I'm not exposed to it. So it, when, when you don't know what it is that's going on, you're just kind of oblivious to it. And, you know, I just go about my business with my other band, but it is very interesting what I hear, you know, yeah. what I mean? like you mentioned some of these things, it's obviously very interesting because it's different. And, you know, back in the nineties, early 2000, you know, I didn't hear about, Oh, did you hear about a guy in a band that does this? Like, I just, you know, it's just very unique for me to hear, you know, you mention these things. It's an interesting time period. Um, you know, and, uh, it, it, it where every, everybody's going for the meme, everybody's going for the sarcastic response. And, um, I think in the end, that's probably a bad thing, but I, people are very entertained by it. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, we just want to, I, that, that's, you know, 90% of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast. In addition to talking about music was just to give that sort of like, you know, from, from the horse's mouth, I, you know, I'm not a bot. I'm not out to get anybody. I'm not out to, you know, if you don't want to check out my band, fine. You know, like it, it's one of those things. And I, I think, I think people have given you a hard time, man. And I, I, I apologize for that. That's, uh, that's very sad, uh, coming from a community that I'm a part of, you know? Yeah, not at all. And, and again, you know, <laughs> I just don't really see it. So, 
I'm not in those groups. I would love to be in those groups and participate, but um, no, I'm just not in them. I think that that's about as far as, as we can really take it. And I think that, um, you know, I, I'm excited to hear that there are you know new newer ska influence bands coming out because they were gone for such a long time. So for something like Good Luck Ugly, I think you guys have the potential to be unique in that and um, and not the biggest difference between now and back whenever the market was saturated is you guys probably don't have to put up with you know being flooded in an oversaturated market. No, not at all. I mean, um, you know, last month we played at the House of Blues here in Anaheim in their uh, foundation room. And then on the main stage, Sublime played. So it was cool to kind of see, you know, a similar 90s kind of ska punk type band still playing. And um, I think with this third album, I know Mike says he wants to incorporate some horns. So there's definitely going to be a little bit more ska influence on this third album. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's like perfect for guys our age because it's like I would love to go see a ska band again. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it feel like feel like I'm in high school for for however long the show is. You know, right? right. Get, get a little bit of that youth back, but uh, you know. So what? It, what yeah. Is, so Mike, you know, he does the keyboard um, on there, but we're still a three piece, which is pretty rare for kind of a ska punk band. Um, yeah. So. This year, yeah, we're definitely throwing out the idea of possibly getting some horn players, pops, uh, maybe a second guitarist, and we'll just kind of see how it goes. That would be really cool. And so, are you guys are you guys planning any big shows coming up, or thinking about touring at all? Yeah, we have a lot of shows booked um, at uh, goodluckugly.com coming up with more in the works, um, and then probably around February March we'll start planning our summer schedule and. Um, start reaching out to bands to see if anyone wants to join us. That would be super cool. That's some of my favorite memories are seeing, you know, three horn players up on stage and, <laughs> you know, right. uh, a punk rock band to back them up, you know, yeah. um, that was pretty much my whole childhood. So, um, you've got, you've definitely got the vote from me, but, um, is there anything, uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I think we covered everything we covered last time. I think we, I think we did it. <laughs> I think we did. All right. Well, um, you know, Eric, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, you know, we uh, there, there's always potential on this show to do to do comebacks and stuff like that, and uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, both times. And um, this time, uh, it'll be nice for the world to actually get to hear the conversation. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on the podcast and uh, had a good time. Awesome. Well, we will talk to you later and. Uh, Hope everybody enjoyed hearing this, and uh, there will be uh, more to come from the Discuss Metal podcast.